This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. Don't try to fit in your interviews in between incubation times. Zoom fatigue is real. It is so true. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we share tips for successfully navigating your virtual grad school interview. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 146. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey there, Daniel. How was your Thanksgiving? You mean my Zooms giving? <laughs> Everything is Zoom, uh, and I think that's what we're going to talk about today. My Thanksgiving was good. It was very quiet. There were just uh, my immediate family, my wife and two kids, but we definitely spent some time connecting with people over video chat, and um, it wasn't the same, but it was still good in a more different way. Yeah, I realized for my wife and I, this was the, or at least for me, this was the first time in my 40 years of living to not celebrate Thanksgiving with my mom and dad. So that was different, but I will say it was kind of neat. It was kind of fun to have a change of pace and do all of our own cooking here with my immediate family. Did you did you Zoom them or FaceTime them so they could watch you chew or not? <laughs> we did a, we did a little Zoom uh, to say hello to everyone. So you know it's a bummer not being together, but trying to find the silver lining and I think it was the right thing to do and uh, hopefully temporary. Hopefully by next Thanksgiving we'll be all hanging out together again. We want all those people to make it to Christmas, and so uh, this is a small sacrifice to allow that to happen. That's absolutely right, Dan. And, you know, the focus of this episode is going to be on another big change that the pandemic is going to bring. But before we get into that, I have a beer to share with you, Dan, and you might give me a hard time. Oh, you're predicting the hard time I'm about to give you. Well, we are drinking the Knuckle Dragger Double IPA from Skull Camp Brewing in Elkin, North Carolina. Do you know what season this is, Josh? This is the self-dubbed IPA-free fall, where for our new listeners, uh, we have a tradition of, I don't know how many years now, of not drinking IPAs during the month of fall. The, the season of fall. Fall is three months. Oh, did I say the month of fall? <laughs> you said the month of fall. <laughs> the season of fall. But you'll note, Dan, this is a, an IPA, but... On a technicality, I'm going to claim that we never said anything about double IPAs. So this is technically <laughs> a different type of beer. It is not an IPA. It is a an imperial IPA. Therefore, different. There you go. The reason I thought it would be okay and that you would be okay with us drinking this is what we've really tried to do during the month of fall is... You just said month of fall again. <laughs> Jeez. So this is a 9% ABV, just so everybody realizes that's why Josh doesn't know seasons for months. <laughs> uh, so what we've been trying to do during the season of fall is expand our beer repertoire. And I don't typically navigate towards double IPAs normally. Do you, Dan? No, I don't either. Uh, even no, though I definitely I like, don't either. Yeah, even though I like traditional IPAs, and I know you do too. So I thought, Dan... We could make this an educational opportunity where we try a new type of IPA, but also learn a little bit about what a, du a double IPA is. How does that sound? I sure hope that you did the research on that because I did not. Well, I sure did, Dan. So this is another beer I got when I was out in the mountains of North Carolina back in October. And this one caught my attention, not because it was an IPA, but the bartender said this was by far their best-selling beer was this Knuckle Dragger Double IPA. So I thought, okay, well, Dan and I should try this on the show. So it got me interested in what a double IPA is all about. Double IPAs, it turns out, are a relatively recent American invention. As you know, Dan, over the last two decades, IPAs have gotten very popular here in the United States. We love hops, so more hops must be better, right? I agree with that. Well, it turns out, uh, you can just dump more hops into the beer, and I think that's what a lot of brewmasters started doing with the rising popularity of IPAs here in the States. But what they found was there was an upper limit on how good an IPA would be if you just kept dumping hops into it. Yeah, having actually chewed on an individual bit of hop 
There, there is a limit to what the palate can handle. It is an intense experience. Yes. And so to counteract that increased bitterness that dumping in additional hops uh, imparts into a beer, brewmasters would then say, okay, well, let's up the sweetness by adding more malt. So that sweetness will counter the bitterness. However, a byproduct of that is more malt means higher alcohol content. So... The double IPA was born. It was a way for beer makers to up the ante with regard to hops while adding, uh, countering with added malt, giving a higher ABV uh, beer. Now, why is it called a double IPA? Well, there's a little bit of controversy here, it turns out. We talked a long time ago, Dan, on an episode, and I don't even remember which one it was, about the Belgian Trappist style of beer called the double, D-U-B-B-E-L, which means double as you might expect it, um, but not always literally so, not always literally twice the amount. However, the Trappist monks, they use the term double to mean a stronger version of a popular brown ale, like a strong ale, they might call it. And so one explanation that I encountered was a double IPA comes from that double, D-U-B-B-E-L, naming convention of, well, this is just a stronger version of an IPA, so a double IPA. However, uh, the other explanation for why these stronger IPAs are called double IPAs is the other name, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, for a double IPA is the Imperial IPA, which is a naming convention more often seen in European countries. But if you look at the abbreviation Imperial IPA, that would be IIPA or double IPA. That's an etymology. <laughs> so... Maybe it comes from a Belgian Trappist tradition, uh, or maybe it literally just means two eyes for Imperial IPA or double IPA. The search box on our website, hellophg.com, uh, I found an episode where we had double double IPAs. We had the bright double IPA from Treehouse Brewing. One version we had that had Citra Hops and the other that had Simcoe and Amarillo. So this is not our first double. And in fact... One time we had a dub, two doubles at the same time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what episode was that, Dan? If anybody cares to go back and listen. Episode 87, How Do I Choose a PhD Program? Oh, well, that was actually an admissions-related episode. We've come full circle. All right, Dan. Well, I am going to slowly uh, sip on this. This is another good one for me because, as you know, Dan, I'm a very slow beer drinker, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So I will enjoy slowly sipping this as you tell us a little bit about our sponsors today. A study that was published in PLOS One found over 32,000 research articles that were based on misidentified cell lines. And the authors estimate that there are almost half a million more just like them. Sometimes, Josh, we talk about the trouble with reproducibility in science. I wonder what portion of those are not reproducible because the published cell line is not the actual cell line they did the, the work in. Um, that is one way that things can go wrong. But uh, cell line authentication is getting more attention and... Promega scientists have been working hard to address that problem, including serving on the American National Standards Institute Committee that drafted the official authentication guidelines. So if you want to learn more about cell authentication, uh, go to promega.com slash hellophd, and you'll have a link there to learn more. Also want to say a special thanks to all our Patreon patrons. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash hellophd or visit our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button. All right, Dan, are you ready to talk about some virtual interviews? Let's do this thing. All right, Dan, I had a real treat this week. I got to have a conversation over Zoom, of course, with our good friend Beth Bowman from Vanderbilt University. Yeah, and you mentioned that this is her fourth, third, which interview was it? third time on the show i love talking to her you know when we met in person the first time it was in nashville for the episode that we recorded at uh, vanderbilt and we've just kind of kept up over the years this topic for me josh about how do you interview for graduate school without going to a graduate school i was pretty convinced before i listened that there was no <laughs> this was not possible that that this is one of those things that you just have to do in person. But having having heard your talk with her, I have some hope. So let's play the tape and uh, we'll get back together afterwards to unpack it. 
I'm Beth Bowman, and I am the Assistant Director of Biomedical Graduate Programs at Vanderbilt University. And one of my major roles is in admissions and recruiting. And obviously, this year, we've been thinking a lot about virtual interviewing and virtual recruiting and want to be very thoughtful and intentional about it. <laughs> Beth, thank you for coming back on the show again. We've had you on the show several times. I can't even remember now. Is this your third third time on the show? Third time, third yeah. Time. I think last time we had you on the show, to also talking about graduate applications and interviews, we would have never predicted that we would have you back talking about this particular topic. <laughs> Holy cow. You know, that everybody says unprecedented, but you can't not that, right? No, you're <laughs> it's <abs> true. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And, and you know, last time we, we had you on the show and we were talking about interviews, we talked about how important those in-person interviews are from the applicant's point of view to even assess a program on your own to actually be in a place and meet the people and this year, uh, that's not going to be possible in most cases because most of these interviews will be virtual. So uh, we're going to get into that about how to make decisions. But first, we've been getting a lot of questions, Beth, and I'm sure you've been getting a lot of questions from applicants applying to grad school, wanting to know, first of all, what is a virtual interview going to be like? And how do you prepare for those things? So, so why don't we start there? What yeah. is a virtual interview going to be like, and how is it going to be different than an in-person graduate school interview? Definitely, definitely. I think, well, let me say that I think a lot of schools are are navigating this a little differently. So I'm going to tell you s some guidelines, um, but keep in mind that in the past, when we've talked about interview schedules, it's been a pretty similar structure across programs, and it might look different between different schools uh, this year. I think obviously the big thing that's different is it's not in person now. So that's really going to mean that two major factors have, have changed. The schedule, I think a lot of schools are re retooling what the schedule looks like. And then your experience is in evaluating the school is going to look very different this year. And I think you should know that, of course, we recognize that you're going to pick a school <laughs> having not visited it. And that's a major factor that we're thinking through on our end, too. So don't think that that's an unimportant fact to the schools you're interviewing with. It's, it's a big consideration. We said this in our last program that these, there are interview weekends, but we, we kind of interchange the terminology interview weekend and recruiting weekend. So we recognize you, your part in all of this. <laughs> so... Let's talk schedule. I think that is, t tangibly speaking, a thing that's going to look very, potentially very different this year. So in the past, you know, a lot of schools had a similar structure where um, maybe on a Thursday night, you'd have dinner with students. And then Friday was the big interview day. And then maybe on Saturday, there would be kind of a get to know the city uh, opportunity. And given the fact that this is virtual, schools are really thoughtfully considering if they want to stick to that schedule or not, or if they want to do something different. I think the challenge with that, in, that structure, you know, if it's in, done in a virtual format, that means being on Zoom all day long. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk a lot about Zoom fatigue through this episode, but I think schools recognize the, the challenge of that for you, for the, those of you interviewing. And I think the other side of that is the time differences. The people are interviewing who are in California, maybe interviewing with schools at the East Coast. And that's a big interviewing at eight o'clock Eastern time would be five o'clock in California. So, you know, I think that's a big consideration. So I guess big picture wise, I've heard a few different models. I think there, there are two major models where some schools are kind of sticking to an abbreviated all-day structure where it's you with the major interview part is, is still fit into one day. And then other programs seem to be considering a, a two-day partial day structure, um, maybe more two, two afternoon structures where um, you still get that program introduction up front, but then you have your 
scheduled in individual interviews split between two days. And, and again, it sounds like some of the advantages, I guess there are advantages and disadvantages to, to every structure, but one potential advantage to splitting it out over a couple half days might be one to combat that Zoom fatigue that I think we're all feeling that you mentioned. But also, I think what you also mentioned, the very real consideration of time zone issues mm-hmm. where, okay, well, maybe we have, normally we'd have a full day planned from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. or even beyond that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. If you're on an East Coast, uh, interviewing for a school in the East Coast time zone, like our program, and you're on the West Coast time zone, do you really want to be doing <laughs> interviews at five o'clock in the morning, local time? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I've, I've thought about this a few different ways. And I always felt sorry for those applicants who are interviewing at our program, we're on the East Coast in our program, who came mm-hmm. from California and they flew in the, the night before. And so their body is still adjusting. And we had our program information session at 8 a.m. on Friday morning. Yep. And they're yep. rolling in there, <laughs> <laughs> what feels like 5 a.m. 5 their time for like a 16-hour day, right? And I just yeah. really felt for yeah. them. Yeah, not so much in the morning, but by the time it got to be like 4 p.m. our time, and they've been at it <laughs> all, oh, my all day long. So I guess, you know, the flip side is at least you're just rolling out of bed and, and going to your computer. But yeah, your mindset is definitely in a different place. And, and I think a lot of programs, ours included, are thinking through, all right, well, maybe we'll start at a time that is a little more reasonable for folks in different time zones. I think that could hold over to future years now. I think this is a a, a real tangible consideration this year, but my hope is that it means that we won't be torturing those California students in the future like we have been. Well, this might be, you know, this might be getting into a little bit of advice for, for how to approach these interviews, but a question I have for you is... A big difference that we're getting at under normal circumstances, if applicants were flying or driving on location to the school's campus where they're uh, where they're interviewing, they are fully present at those mm. locations and mm. in that process. Mm. Now, with these virtual interviews, uh, you know, I mentioned applicants will roll out of bed and go to their computer, but that also highlights the fact that there will be other normal life things potentially much more present around them during mm-hmm. this really important interview process. So your roommates are still there. If you have kids, they are still mm-hmm. running around. If you have a lab or a job or something you're doing, it maybe feels different because you're still in your town, in your location, in your city, at your house mm-hmm. uh, versus mm-hmm. literally leaving town and being fully present. Cause I know advice we always have given before is when you go on that interview, be completely dialed in, be fully present yeah. at that place and considering that institution, doesn't that get a lot harder to do now? I think it does. You know, I think it does for multiple reasons. I think you're right. The fact that you can be pulled away from your normal daily activities, even even classwork, whereas normally on a, on a typical interview, you if you're still in school, you might be asking your, your professors for a, an absence um, or maybe a change of test date or something like that. Or in lab, you, you just can't be there to do experiments. So, I think what what you need to do as an as an interviewer interviewee is still be mindful that in a normal interview you'd be taking a day and a half or two days to being truly absent for the interview and I think you need to take care of yourself in that same way ask for absence ask to to be away whether that's from the lab or from from coursework because that's normal, right? And I think it's hard to remember that that's what usually happens. But for your for your own sake, giving yourself that time to shift your mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we've it's just so hard, even in normal daily life now, switching from home life to work life when so many things are are virtual. But give yourself the time and and let your advisors and, and, and faculty know that you actually need that time. Don't, don't be afraid to ask for it and take care of yourself. I think along those lines, as, as you said, balancing this with normal life, be intentional about where you are when you're interviewing. You mentioned go, being in lab. Don't. 
<laughs> um, don't try to don't try to fit in your interviews in between incubation times. Uh, for oh your... <laughs> boy, I, I I admire that mindset, but gosh darn it, um, I, you, you got to get into grad school, right? That's the goal. <laughs> so make sure that you are in a in a quiet environment where you can really focus and. And obviously, you want to try to make sure you have good internet. And I think that's that can be a challenge if your home has uh, poor connectivity. We interviewers are going to know that. We understand that. But you on your side, you don't want to have the anxiety of knowing, of wondering if your internet's going to go out. So Quiet Place can potentially be at work, but not in your lab. Maybe if you need to find and ask for an office somewhere or a conference room, there aren't a lot of people meeting in conference rooms these days. So I think that's totally fair to ask for that. Yeah, I think that that's great advice. And if there is one silver lining to to these virtual interviews, at this point, we've been doing the the primarily virtual thing for many, many months now. So I imagine everyone who's going through these interviews uh, and many schools, you know, whether it was last semester or this semester, have moved a lot of coursework online. So I bet you have a lot of experience. I bet every applicant has a lot of experience doing Zoom meetings, doing virtual meetings, mm-hmm. streaming mm-hmm. things, and and getting a sense for where do I have spotty connection? You know, where do mm-hmm. I have internet issues, right? <laughs> um, you know, is it, this bedroom is not the best place in my house or this other place. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but your point is really great. Thinking about even your, your university or your lab, there really might be spaces that you can utilize on your campus that are quiet, that aren't being used right now um, that that you could use. And don't don't be afraid to ask if you you know, ask your PI, ask your professors, if this is an issue you have, if you don't have a good quiet place at home and you know your home internet is an issue <laughs> right now, uh, please, yeah, reach out to those people around you on campus. Usually universities have pretty good internet um, and there might be yep. a, a quiet place uh, that you can go. I've even, actually, I, you know, I encountered some, some faculty, we were talking through some of these things on our own campus, and they were talking about, they had offered up to some undergrads in their lab, some technicians in their lab who were applying to grad school this time around, and they offered up their office, because they personally aren't on campus all the That's time great. either, and so, yes. you know, these, these opportunities may be, be possible for you. So, Beth, you were talking a little bit about some of the things that an applicant would normally experience during an interview, maybe meeting up with other students, clearly talking to faculty during the actual interviews, but experiencing the city. Whether it's a two-day thing or a one-day virtual experience, what should applicants expect to happen during these virtual interviews? Are they going to get opportunities to do all those things in some virtual way? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that all of this is being considered. So, So I imagine a general structure will follow a, lo- a lot of the similar um, uh, components of a typical interview day where you have an introductory session where you learn about the program and then individual interviews with faculty. And then, you know, here at Vanderbilt, and I'm sure schools around the country, I've talked to a lot of people, they're, they're doing things like student panels and, and opportunities to connect with students, either in big group settings or maybe in, you know, those Zoom breakout rooms, <laughs> kind of in smaller groups, um, or maybe even more on an, on an individual basis. But I think you're bringing up a good point that, you know, we talked about how the schedule might be different, but I think the experience, you know, what you feel from the institution, what you learn about the institution is going to be different. I think you're going to be able to learn pretty much about the same level of understanding of research as you would in an in-person interview. You'll be talking with your interviewers about their science. They'll be asking you about your science. They'll tell you about any support or core facilities that help um, with research and collaborations they have. I think you'll really get that tangible knowledge of um, research opportunities too as a graduate student. But I think the other flip side about experience that will be different is learning the environment. And you can ask questions. We'll talk a lot about that. But um, getting a sense of how it feels to be there, well, gosh, you're not going to be there, right? <laughs> so that's that's going to be the harder part that we're going to talk about quite a bit. 
Yeah, well, let's you know, let's talk briefly. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this here. I encourage anyone listening who is facing grad school interviews to go back and listen to our previous episode where we talked extensively about preparing for uh, grad school interviews. And Beth, you and I were having sent, trading some messages back and forth, and and agreed that a lot of those considerations for how you would have prepared for an in-person interview completely hold for how you would prepare for a virtual interview. Because I think, like you said, uh, the core part about learning about the science, meeting with faculty, that while on Zoom instead of in someone's office is largely going to be similar. Uh, But why don't you just briefly give us just a few tips for how to prepare for those conversations with faculty that make up the bulk of the interview part of the experience? Definitely, definitely. So these are tips we give in any year, right? Um, the, the evaluation part of this, how, how you're going to be considered as a candidate for the school is going to be the same. You know, we're not dramatically changing that because of COVID. So the tips are the same as before. Make sure you really have a good understanding of the research you've been involved with. Don't just know the techniques you've done, know why you've done your experiments, how it fits into the bigger picture of your research project, of your lab's goals. Be able to really talk uh, through your science and it's okay to practice that with somebody in your lab. Don't be afraid to do that. At the same time, you know, in these interviews, probably about half the time you'll be talking about their science, but the other half of the time they'll be talking about their science. And it'd be great for you to get a sense of what they do before you interview. It's not just that it would be great. It's essential that you have a sense of what they do before you interview with them. So dive into your interviewer's research. At the very least, look at their website. Um, If you want to look at the abstract of a paper or two, that, that would be good. Don't feel like you have to know what the backwards and forwards. But when they're talking about their science, make sure you're peppering them with questions. Uh, they'll be peppering you with questions when you talk about yours. And the point is to have a conversation, to have a dialogue. So you don't, if you go in there not knowing their science and not knowing your science, y- you can't have that scientific conversation. So be prepared about that. Last point about this, I think, ask questions. I think it's important that, that you really try to focus it towards the you know, beginning and bulk of the interview on research and, and make sure that they understand that you know about science. But then you can ask about the city and the environment and uh, the support for students. You can feel free to talk about that. I wouldn't start with those questions because then it might seem like you're deflecting. But don't hesitate once you've gotten through some of the good bulk of science to then go into those things. Yeah, I think that that's great advice. And I'm really glad that you framed it in the context of having a conversation, a scientific conversation. Uh, that's one way that that I usually sometimes try to calm the nerves of students I'm working with who are getting ready to go on these interviews or do these interviews. If you can reframe it less of, okay, I'm going to be grilled like an interview. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, because, because I don't think that's actually how a lot of the faculty that's not it. approach right. it either, um, because they want to have conversations about science. And you think, okay, we're just two people who are interested in science, and, and chances are, actually, even beyond that, I know we work hard, and, and Bethany, you work hard to not just throw you in with any random faculty, but <laughs> but we, we really do try to match you, because again, we're trying to recruit you, so we want you mm-hmm. to talk to the faculty that we think you're going to be really interested to talk to. And so hopefully you do, in, for the most part, have good overlapping research interests. And so this can be, you can think of this as a really fun and engaging opportunity to talk to some really cool scientists about some work that you find interesting. But I completely agree mm-hmm. with you that another way to remove some of the trepidation about this process is preparing. It's, it's like anything mm-hmm. else you do. And this is important, right? These interviews are really important. This is your next step of your career. By just spending a little bit of time looking up some information about the people you'll be talking with, 
it just puts you at ease. You know what to expect. It's not just a black box like, okay, well, let's see what science is going to be thrown at me and I'll try to on the fly come up with something to say. I like what you said. Just look at a website, maybe familiarize yourself with you know, maybe a most recent paper. I, I don't think you have to do a full thesis level worth of work on every person you <laughs> you talk to, but... You'll forget it if you do. <laughs> you will. You will. But yeah, I like what you said. Look over a couple abstracts of maybe their most recent publications because uh, that will really help you frame your mind about, okay, what's this conversation going to be like? And what am I interested in about yeah. this person? Yeah. What do I want to learn from this person? I just want to quickly follow up on that. So, so last year, we're one of the few programs, we actually did some virtual interviews. So most schools had already finished them and um, we have several smaller interviews. So we did our last two virtually and we scrambled and it worked out, but I asked them afterwards about the, I asked both the faculty who interviewed and the students who interviewed about their experience and and what was the same and what was different. And I think, you know, we've kind of alluded to this, but they said it's the same. So, you know, our suggestions to prepare in the same ways really hold true because these, these are students who interviewed both in person at other schools and virtually at Vanderbilt and faculty who have done both. And they said that this conversation really, it, it, it doesn't really, especially now that we're all fully familiar with Zoom, this was early on when we didn't even know Zoom. <laughs> I, I think that should give, you know, the listeners a real sense of, of as much as you can, sense of calm <laughs> to know that this year it, it's the schedule is going to look different. You're going to have to ask more questions and all of that. But the actual interview part, talking to faculty, that's going to feel the same as any other year. So, so don't be overly anxious about that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So do you have any specific tips for students approaching these virtual interviews, things they might want to make sure they don't forget about or keep in mind? Yeah, yeah. There are a few things you need to consider more. So you're going to be on your computer if not all day, for a a good several hours. So it doesn't hurt to make sure you've got your charger with you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just imagining you go to the the library or your (laughs) uh, conference room on campus and realize you left your charger back in your apartment. Yeah, oh, that would not be I good. I do it. And my, my computer just never holds as long as I expect it to, especially on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So have that silly, silly point, but it's an important point. You know, we've talked about this. Make sure you're in a quiet environment. Plan that in advance. You know, don't just wake up one morning and you interview and that's it. Just really be thoughtful. In a similar vein, we've all done Zoom. I'm sure you've experienced this where somebody in your Zoom panel is super backlit and you can't see their face. You're obviously not going to lose admission because you're backlit. But I think it just it helps your interviewer and you know the rest of the group get to know you better if, if we can see your face. So don't sit in front of a window. <laughs> Silly point, but important. I think, too, students shouldn't feel the need to have a a fancy background or something. I know, oh, you yeah. know maybe you're, yeah. you're in your apartment and you've got your, your Jimi <laughs> Hendrix poster behind you or whatever. You know, they probably think it's cool. <laughs> you get bonus points you there. You might get bonus points there. <laughs> you know, if your computer's able to do a Zoom background, I know some universities even have their own uh, now, uh, this is the world we live in now. They have their own <laughs> official Zoom backgrounds for yeah, uh, the yeah. institution you're at. You could do that. Uh, my computer actually is uh, so old that it will not accommodate a Zoom background without a green screen. And I don't have time oh, to make man. that happen. So uh, so I feel oh, students boy. who aren't able to do the, <laughs> the Zoom background. Hey, you're not going to be judged on that. You're, you're not. Back, my only suggestion for the backlit is just so that we can see you. You're not going to be judged on the quality of, you know, your video. We know what this is like and some people are fuzzy and some are not. You're not going to be judged on... If you do happen to be at home and you got a cat, like I've got one in my room (laughs) and they jump on your couch behind you, that's not going to... We all understand what, what this looks like and the challenge of balancing home life with doing this. So, so some of those awkwardnesses, like little pauses in conversation because of Zoom... I, you're going to be nervous about this. Honestly, you'd be nervous about those weird pauses if you were in person too. Just recognize that this is what it is and don't think that's going to affect if you get admission because it won't. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is really a good point because you're absolutely right. I mean, when you are in person in a faculty member's office and you have this awkward silence, there's nowhere to hide at that point. <laughs> you know, I would almost argue that's more awkward uh, the silence that, than on yeah. Zoom. Um, Beth, I have one question for you. I think we tend to, the way we even a- approach the, these conversations about virtual interviews versus in-person interviews is we approach it from a place of, well, in-person's better and unfortunately we have to do this virtual thing and it's going to be worse in some mm-hmm. way. But what do you think about the possibility that applicants could actually utilize the fact that they're doing virtual interviews to do things like they're describing their research more easily share a PDF of a poster they did or mm-hmm. a figure that they put together on a PowerPoint slide that'll help walk them through research. Do you think uh, that's something an applicant could have ready or should have ready? Mm-hmm. Or or what do you think about that as a suggestion? That's an interesting point. So one, one student that I did ask about virtual interviews last year said that he really actually enjoyed it because he could actually take notes on his computer during the process, during the introductory section, or even during, you know, interviews with faculty. And maybe during a, a, a introductory session, you feel comfortable in person taking notes, but it might feel weird in person. So I think there are some great advantages. I think using data slides or, um, any information you've prepared in advance. I think that would be fine as long as it doesn't come across as a crutch. You know, we, we've we had people sometimes interview who, who might bring a manuscript with them or figures with them. And almost always those are used in a very effective way to really show data and walk through data. There have been a couple of times where we've had a student, it seemed like they couldn't really describe their research without it. So I guess I guess maybe to be safe, a good use of that would be if it really is data. I think that would be effective. But if you if you have to rely on a schematic to talk about what what you're doing, that that might seem that might come across. Even if you don't feel like you need it, it might come across as a crutch. And so, I think it's great though to to, to the idea of sharing your screen for that kind of uh, use for data would be great. Yeah, and, and I think it, it probably goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where at the end of the day, the best interviews are these really engaging scientific conversations. And yeah, if yeah. you can utilize a visual to enhance the conversation aspect, that's great. But just mm. be careful mm-hmm. not to go too far to the other extreme where suddenly you're giving a presentation and there's no, yes. there's no more engagement. Uh, because that may not have the effect that you're looking for. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if faculty do that. Oh, faculty definitely do that, <laughs> so, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, then, uh, <laughs> so maybe you don't give a presentation, but if they do, if they do, don't hesitate to still interrupt and ask questions. I feel like that does create a little bit more of a barrier for the interviewee to feel like they can interrupt. Be, be, try to be still assertive and don't let yourself sit back and relax and feel like you're in a seminar when you're yes. actually not. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's great, great advice. And, and this is, again, something that happens, that can happen in person too, where not on Zoom, but yes. you ask the faculty <laughs> about their research and they flip their monitor around to face you and they, yes. they almost don't mean to, right? They instinctively go into presentation mode. And, yes. Uh, but, but you know, what I, what I always like to say is the last thing you want is the 30 minutes goes by or whatever and it's time to go and you realize that they've just been talking and you haven't said anything, right? That's what yes. you're trying to avoid. So, Beth, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Even if they are sharing their screen, which they very well may do, and they're going through <laughs> their slide deck, uh, remember, this is a conversation. This is not me sitting in on a seminar. You're absolutely right. And so make sure you always bring it back to, this is you being evaluated. So you want to make sure you mm-hmm. give them some yes. information to, to go by. <laughs> so we've mentioned and alluded to this Zoom fatigue phenomenon. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it seems like regardless of the exact format of the school you where you interview, there's going to be 
several hours of Zooming <laughs> that's going to be yes. involved, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or some kind of virtual communication. What tips or ideas or strategies do you have for applicants to just stay dialed in and stay focused when in reality they may be sitting at a desk staring at their screen for many hours? What, what advice would you give? Yeah, I, well, I think number one, uh, prepare for it. And if that means, I, we've probably all noticed what our limit is uh, p- for now. And so don't, I guess this is along the vein of, of recognizing this as an interview time and taking time away from your normal life. So if that means, you know, not attending Zoom seminars for a little bit, or, or maybe even asking to not be part of a lab meeting or something, or journal club, just to give yourself a break, that's, completely fair. Zoom fatigue is real. It is so true. I think the other side is, you know, schools are thinking about this too and really trying to be considerate with schedule. And so, you know, here and I'm sure at other schools, we're building in little breaks. And I would encourage you to not sit there during the break. (laughs) Get up and walk around. If that means going outside and walking, you know, for just a couple minutes around the area and then coming back. Um, Obviously, you want to try not to lose focus. So if if that means just walking around the room that you're in, that's okay. But take advantage of of the 10 or 15 minute moments that you'll have between interviews. It's okay if during this time you're thinking about your science. I'm not saying remove your brain from the process, but don't stay there every time sitting in front of the computer so that you'll be in the computer for at the computer for four, five, six hour stretches. I think that I think that's great advice going going back to the taking time away, trying to clear your schedule as much as you can of other engagements that are not related to your to your interviews because you're absolutely right if you're going to need to be on zoom for four or five hours for the interview try to get out of this other one hour (laughs) zoom meeting or this other 30 minute zoom thing that you have to do that's not related to the interview on those days uh, just to minimize that fatigue i think that's great advice So I guess the last thing I want to make sure we talk about, because I think this is really important and is weighing on the minds of lots of applicants as they're going into these virtual interviews. Once you've done the interviews, how do you Mm -hmm. figure out where you want to actually go to graduate school? How do you choose a place if you haven't actually been there? Because again, that's something we said all the time in the previous (laughs) times of in-person interviews is, wow, it's just so important to be able to go and experience a place and talk to the people and walk around. Yeah. And and I know yeah. from, from our side too, that was a really critical part of the program that we built in was making sure applicants yeah. got a chance to experience our restaurants and our cities and places <laughs> to live and, and you know, where you're actually going to have your life while you are yes. doing your, your PhD. So how do applicants even begin to figure that out from these virtual interviews? Yeah, you know, I honestly, I think this is the hard part about it. To, to be honest, I think we, we're we going to get to know our applicants pretty much as well as we normally would, right? We're going to have these interviews. We're going to be able to talk science. We're going to get to know your science. The hard part is this experience gap. And so, to be honest, I think the best thing to do is to ask a bunch of questions. So, I'm hopeful that programs around the country are putting as much thought into this as, as you and I are, Josh. So here at Vanderbilt, we're going to have kind of post-interview get-to-know-us opportunities so that, you know, during the interview, we'll get through all the science, but then we'll have plenty of chance, which no, does not happen in a normal year. Um, we've never done a lot of programmed follow-up. Um, but we'll do student panels and we'll do a virtual tour and all of that and spread it out so you don't have Zoom fatigue. So I think schools are being very intentional and thoughtful about this imp- the, this important part. But I think what you need to do, you, you need to be a little more proactive. Um, so hopefully schools are, are being intentional and thoughtful about it. But that does not remove your responsibility to get to know the school as well. So 
ask questions. You know, you can ask your interviewers, make sure you get through that science part first, but ask your interview interviewers, ask student hosts on panels, ask to follow up with students after the fact, engage in a thoughtful way to, to really hear their true perspective. And if that means, you know, needing follow-up in a way that where program leadership are not present and, and all of that, don't hesitate to do that. So I, I have some, some suggested questions that you should be thinking about. It's okay to ask about the research environment. Do that even to your interviewers. Ask if it's a competitive place or a, comp- a collaborative place. And then ask about the, the student's environment. You know, do, is there a lot of support from the institution for graduate schools? Does there seem to be structure for students? What are the student relationships with each other? Are they competitive or friendly? Do they study together? That sort of things. I think it's okay to ask, are students happy? <laughs> it might seem like a blunt question, but that honestly is something that you would be able to more easily notice and evaluate for yourself if you were there engaging and interacting with a lot of students. And on Zoom, I think that's harder to actually like see and to visualize. So ask and ask, you know, if they say yes, ask why. If they say no, if they hesitate, dive into that a little bit. A few other things to ask about are, you know, what is this career development support and support for diversity um, at the institution? Unfortunately, you are, you're going to meet this, the students that are presented to you. You're not going to walk around the institution to really see uh, what the faculty makeup, what the student makeup is. And, you know, Beth, you could argue to a certain extent that happens anyway, even in an in-person uh, interview uh, that you, <laughs> you know, you don't see all the students, you don't see all the That's faculty, true. you see the uh, carefully selected students that selected. <laughs> <laughs> have been presented, you know, the, the curmudgeonly uh, sixth-year grad student that's... Uh, Toiling away in the lab, they're not going to put them on the on the panel discussion, right? <laughs> that's a that's a very good point. Yeah, your your point your point is absolutely absolutely valid. Especially here, you're not going to just sort of oh look around and see what's going on over there. And and, yeah. and I think what you said too about asking the more pointed questions like, "Are you happy here? Do you like it here?" You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Those types of observations are much harder to make. In with Zoom, because I think the one piece that cannot be recreated with virtual interviews, there's not downtime, there's not informal side conversations um, that are mm-hmm. happening, there's not conversations happening among the group of graduate students who are your hosts while they're mm-hmm. waiting for dinner to start. You can't overhear mm-hmm. and, and observe these other grad students informally interacting, right? When their guard right. is down. Good point. So when you're on a Zoom meeting with someone, you're always on, you're always in presenter mode, sort of interview mode, conversation mode. So I think that's a great mm-hmm. question, just saying, are you happy here? Do you like it here? Mm-hmm. Are you glad you picked this place? Mm-hmm. And especially if you can ask that when there aren't other faculty or program people around. Yes. Right. That's the, that's the time <laughs> yes, to do it. Absolutely. I think you'll get a lot of honesty. Students are honest. Grad students really want to share their experience. So trust their answers too. You know, don't ask just one person, but I think you can trust what they say in the absence of administrators. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably trust them with them, hopefully. Um, but they're, they're not going to hide anything from you. I think you could also ask them, you know, you're not going to get to know the city as well. So along those lines, ask them what they like to do, what are, what are fun things they do during the pandemic. Um, but also, you know, before the pandemic, don't, don't forget that hopefully we'll be leaving this phase. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> ask them to, to think about before the pandemic, what did they do with other students in the program? What activities do they do they maybe do on their own? What is it a typical weekend uh, look like? What's the cost of living? Where do students live? Uh, these are all 
great questions for student panels or for more, you know, one-on-one conversations. What's the weather like? You're not going to know because you won't be there. (laughs) One thing I wonder about is, and this may not work for for everyone, especially if you do end up choosing a graduate program that is... far, far away from, from where you are now, but the timeline, and, and again, we're, we're focusing, you know, Beth, we're both in the biomedical PhD program world, so that's the timeline that's mm-hmm. locked into our brains. But, mm-hmm. but just, you know, from those timelines and similar timelines, April 15th is the sort of drop-dead decision date when most people have kind of figured out where they're going to go and, and the offers are all done. So, you know, April's still many months away now. And I think we have yeah, hopes for, yeah. you know, vaccines and things like that to be rolling out at that time. So who knows? I'm maybe crossing my fingers. We're all crossing be, our the fingers. listeners can't see it, but I am. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, let's say you do, you do interviews in January, in February, in early March, and you start to get some offers that you're trying to weigh where you want to go. Who knows? Maybe it's in the realm of possibility that you do feel comfortable and it's important to you to see a town, see a place in person before you commit to moving there. There might be opportunities Mm -hmm. for you to take a weekend trip and and go check it out if that's important to you. I'm hopeful that could be a possibility. Great point. For students if they really if that's a really key key part for them. You know, and I think if that that is true, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to to even if this is such a true thing that you really want to visit to determine if you want to be there. I wouldn't think it'd be a bad idea to to ask the program if they could could help financially if there is a challenge for you financially to do this. You know, I have to admit, I think here at Vanderbilt, we're doing well financially. I think I've heard all, some schools, because of the economic challenges that are also, you know, around our country, they have some a tighter budget this year. But it doesn't hurt to ask to see if that's going to preclude you from being able to go and visit and consider that school. You might want to reach out. Granted, I, I agree that this wouldn't be in January, right? This would be closer towards the end of the This, would, this would be after you had received an offer uh, yes. for that school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great point, and you're certainly right. Different different programs, different institutions are facing different financial challenges, and so so the answer might be no. I'm sorry, unfortunately, we can't do that. But you never know. I mean, even if they can't help financially fund your visit, then they might be willing to do other things like, oh, well, you know, but if you're going to be in town, here's something you should check out, or maybe we yeah. could get a couple students together you could yeah. you could meet yeah. up with in a safe way, or who knows what. I, I agree. When it gets, uh, if you're really agonizing over a decision and it would be helpful for you to see a place before you make that decision, it can't hurt to ask. Keeping so. in mind that we're all dealing with <laughs> I, uh, challenging times schedule wise. <laughs> yes. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess, Beth, any, any last tips before, before we wrap up or any last advice or encouragement you would give? Yeah. You know, I think the, the biggest thing is if you feel like you have unanswered questions, you, you should always reach out to a program. If you want to connect with students more, if you want to connect with faculty more, I think in some ways that's easier to do that this year, right? We're all so used to this virtual format and we're all used to having phone calls and you have a lot of important questions that need to be answered. So, don't hesitate to, to do that. And I, I write a blog. It's called Materials and Methods. If you just Google Materials and Methods uh, admissions blog, you'll find it. And, and most of my uh, advice is, is centered on admissions and recruiting during a normal year, but it's all very relevant as we've talked about. So there might be some good, some good tips in there for you. All right, Beth. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure to have you on the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Perfect. Thanks, Josh. All right, Dan, that was my conversation with Dr. Beth Bowman. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, and, and I hope you are, Josh, because you do this for a living. Are you cautiously optimistic? I am cautiously optimistic. And I have to say, Dan, if it wasn't apparent from the interview, this is my life right now. I am right in the thick of admission season. I am a director of admissions for a large uh, PhD program. And we, our team is spending a lot of time thinking about how we can make this virtual process the best process possible for our applicants. And so I hope if there's one thing that people listening to the show today who are 
who are embarking on that process in the, in the coming months take away, it's that the programs they're applying to, the schools, we really want you to have a great experience. We really want you to get the information you need to make the best decision for you. So uh, if you take one thing away, just know that and I hope it frees you to really advocate for yourself and get the information you need to make the best decision for you. Yeah, what I loved about uh, your conversation, Josh, was I think a lot of people, whether it's a pandemic year or not, you come into this experience thinking it's an adversarial relationship that you are there to prove something and they're there to weed people out. And that is not the situation. And I think you guys expressed that really well, that it's about having a conversation. And now we have this barrier in which we can't be together to have the conversation, but everybody on both sides wants to facilitate the best possible communication. And so that's what the focus is. Uh, I also think it's really interesting how varied the uh, experience might be depending on the university. You don't have... 50 years of interview weekends to have kind of normalized what the experience looks like. This is the first time we're all doing this. And so I think expect some variation at the schools you applied to. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dan. If we were to do these virtual interviews for the next 10 years, then you probably would see that they all looked relatively the same 10 years from now. But for the most part, we are all making this up as we go along. I, I will say that that Beth and I served on uh, a small committee of admissions folks for the American Association of Medical Colleges earlier on in the pandemic. And the reason we did that was to put our heads together and think of some ideas and make sure we were all thinking about important considerations for students who are doing these virtual interviews so we could share that with the broader community you know, we're all trying to work together the best we can, but you're absolutely right, Dan. There may be some big differences from interview weekend to interview weekend. And then I have to be perfectly honest, Dan, I hope this is a one-time thing. <laughs> I really do uh, hope we, we can go back to the other way of doing things next year, um, which is not to say that this isn't going to be, this can't be a great experience as well. I did want to say, Dan, I, I didn't have it right in front of me when I was doing the interview, uh, but we alluded to the last time Beth was on the show where we went in depth about how to have the best grad school interview possible. And as we discussed, a lot of those tips are also relevant here for a virtual interview. That is episode 106. So if you want to find that episode, we will put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, that was almost exactly two years ago, uh, but a lot of the information is still good. And if you want more general tips for acing your grad school interview, highly recommend you check out that interview with Dr. Bowman um, in addition to this one. Yeah, there are a few things that have changed. You know, we talked about how do you get from the long interview section into the evening section where you have dinner and then the student section and how late should you stay up partying with the students and all those things. You don't have to worry about a lot of that now. Josh, one one question I had for you and I didn't hear you, I think you kind of hinted at it, but I feel like this interviewing students have been on Zoom enough. Everybody's, you know, you've got your Zoom background and you have your lighting and whatever. Are the faculty ready for this? Because the faculty, at least while I was in school, ranged in technical prowess from, you know, very adept to, you know, they could run a PowerPoint, but you had to set it up for them. So are they ready to quickly switch between interviews or are you working with them to make that seamless? You know, we, allu we alluded to this in, in the interview, but I think it's true here as well. The one thing we have going for us at this juncture is the fact that, especially by the time we interview, we will be approaching almost a year of living in this pandemic life across the board in academia and really in, in many segments of our, our population, doing Zoom, doing video chats, connecting virtually is now standard par for the course. So one of the things we often had to deal with um, doing recruitment and interviews normally is a lot of times we would have snow. You know, we do this in the middle of the winter time, And so sometimes we would have to arrange for faculty to do virtual interviews in years previous to this one. And that sometimes was a real challenge because there were many faculty who had never done a Skype call or had never, and actually we didn't even really utilize Zoom much at all a year ago, which is funny to think. Uh, but now I think almost all faculty have become comfortable and adept at at least to do the bare minimum of connecting with someone over Zoom. And you should also know that 
that's something that we on the program side uh, are work, are going to be working hard behind the scenes on is making sure all of our faculty are set and they know what they're doing and they know they know how to connect with you. So I think I think that will be okay. And I, I want to take a second just to remind people if maybe you are not so comfortable with Zoom yet, maybe you uh, you know you tune in but you have not kind of organized your your Zoom life. We did an episode, How to Host a Dissertation Defense on Zoom with now Dr. Ashton Merck. Uh, and, and she had just a great list of, uh, a checklist of things that you need to pay attention to about how your lighting is set up and how to uh, orient your camera so that you're looking at the screen as opposed to kind of looking like you're staring off into the distance. All of those things will help you connect. And, and again, what we are after is connection and having a good conversation because that is where the work of an interview is done. Yeah, that was episode 131, How to Host a Dissertation Defense on Zoom. Yeah, great great tips on that that episode. I am interested in the experiment that is running right now, wherein students will be choosing a graduate program based entirely on the reputation of the university, what they've read about it, and a series of kind of structured personal interactions through the interview process. But they will not be making it specifically on the geography, the lifestyle, the town, the friends they make during interview weekend. Um, I think all of those things are going to be harder to to put into your um, decision matrix. And I wonder what that does to the outcome. I don't, I, you know, when I interviewed at Washington University in St. Louis, the program was incredible. The scientists were incredible. The research was incredible. But as a person who grew up in a small town, Living in St. Louis felt like a big change for me, and it wasn't one that I was ready for. I ended up at Chapel Hill, which is more college town, which is like the the college town I went to um, in, as an undergrad. So I don't know what I would have decided if I had not experienced it. Do you know what I'm saying? You're right, Dan. I mean, it's an interesting experience, and I think the prioritization or the inf- uh, the prioritization of information collected during the interview experience might be different because there will be different data points than you will have collected uh, if you went and visited a place in person. Will it be better or worse? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's either really. And this is something that I have felt to be true for a long time. And I say this from the point of view of one part of my job is I actually advise uh, students who are in the process of choosing which graduate stu- schools to go to that aren't necessarily my own graduate program, but they often have uh, many options and they're trying to decide on the best one. And one of the pieces of advice I always give them is the reason that the choice is so hard is there's not a good choice and a bad choice. Hopefully, all of these programs that you're taking the time to apply to are all programs you are interested in for some reason. They're a good fit for you and your goals. You go on these interviews, you hopefully meet great faculty um, that affirm what you thought when you did the research or thinking about where to apply. And then hopefully you get several offers of places to go. You can be really successful and have a really great experience at more than one of those. Uh, Ultimately, you will choose one and it'll be okay. I think sometimes it's good. We don't have the power of going back in time and seeing how it exactly would have played out the other way. But you know, Dan, if you would have gone to Wash U, you know what? You'd probably still be very successful and be doing just fine. And you'd have a garden somewhere in Missouri instead of North Carolina. You wouldn't know me and we wouldn't have this show and that would be sad, but it wouldn't be sad because you wouldn't know any better. So I think if applicants can maybe I could have had a better podcast, Josh. You don't know. <laughs> could have met somebody who yeah. had a more awesome podcast topic, and it would have been amazing. That's likely. That is likely. <laughs> it's not possible. So, so maybe I don't know. Maybe that's a, a non-answer, but I think that it'll be okay. There are lots of good choices to be had. So, yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think I'm really interested in some of the creative ways that Dr. Bowman talked about getting people together after the interview weekend, I think that could be a really important change that the pandemic brings that we maintain in that decision period between I've seen most of the places and I'm trying to make up my mind, having a little bit more chance to interact, a little bit more input, information, ways to connect to people. Those opportunities could help uh, make me more convinced or make me more sure of the choice that I'm already leaning toward. And so I think, you know, moving forward, I expect to see more of that even in non-pandemic years. 
Yeah, and just like we talked about, if there's information that you need to make your decision, by all means, go out and get it. And and you know, that would be true, that would be true in a normal year, but even more so now. You know, don't just sit back and fret that there's a certain piece of information you want or somebody you'd love to talk to or something you want to know about the community or the town or the program. Please ask, because again, I'm saying from the other side, we want that for you. You know, we not only want you to come to our program, but but we want what's best for you. We want you to come to our program because you really feel like it's the best place for you to be. And we want to help you make that decision. We would love to hear from you if you go on a virtual interview uh, later on uh, this fall or this winter. Uh, let us know how it goes and, and we'll share your feedback and your experience on the show. If you have a question or a topic idea, we'd love to hear that too. You can email us podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at hellophd. Or if you like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love getting your feedback and it helps new listeners to find the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We would appreciate the beer money, and thanks, as always, to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. All right, Josh, well, we hope all of our listeners had a safe and happy holiday break. Hopefully everybody took a break. I noticed I'm about halfway through my glass of double IPA and in true double fashion I picked up the can and there's still more inside because this is a <laughs> a large format can this is a 16 ounce can so uh, I will continue to enjoy this after we stop recording and I appreciate you bringing it home from the mountains you're welcome Dan uh, this highlights a difference in the COVID times we would have probably shared one of these giant cans of double IPA uh, if we were together in person so I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing that <laughs> we have more of this to drink It's good. It's good. We'll enjoy it uh, slowly, and we'll see you next time, Josh. All right. See you next time, Dan.